0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, Man, he's building his church in the rural hills of uh, uh, America and in the the ranch, uh, ranch suburbs and and uh, hood and inner cities as well. Uh, Man, it's good to be here with uh, this crazy group of uh, faith walkers called church planters. It's a blessing. I got my man James here uh, with me celebrating, we just celebrated a year, we're about 13 months old, City of Joy Fellowship in East St. Louis, and so we praise God for his faithfulness, amen, amen, yeah. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 31, was my assigned text, we're going to dive right in. First Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. Let's just listen to what God has to say. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the living God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there is much here. You are deep and glorious and powerful and wonderful and we are not. And so we need you open up our minds to understand the scriptures lord open up our eyes to see the wonder and the glory that's really there open up our hearts that our hearts would burn as the spirit of god shows us the truth of god in christ that we would live this gospel for your glory come your servants are listening in jesus name amen 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 So, in verse 18, the first word is for. Now, y'all can talk back to me a little bit. I know it might be a little different. Can you say for? For. All right, y'all with me. For. For, in verse 18, is actually reaching back to verses 10 through 17 that our brother Ben broke down powerfully yesterday. So, it's reaching back. For is reaching back to those verses, but it's also launching us forward into Paul's inspired reason of why he didn't attempt to, quote, empty the cross of his power with his eloquence. So to summarize the previous verses, Paul is basically like dear personality pursuing celebrity seeking Corinthians. The kingdom of God is not about who's the best speaker Verses 12 to 13. Our brother broke that down. The kingdom of God is not about who's baptized the most people, verses 14 through 16, sounds like the sad metrics of the successful planter, right? Uh, And I just want to pause, just pause right here. Uh, Brothers, the goal of our calling is not to out-preach each other or to see how many baptism numbers we can throw up on the denominational billboard, right? This ain't no basketball game. Pastoral ministry is not a competitive sport. It's a holy calling. And we are on the same blood-bought team. God is the owner. Jesus is the only star, right? And so, men, we have been given a sacred charge to shepherd the flock of God. And the goal is instead, verse 17, to faithfully preach the gospel, so again, back to Paul's point, moving in verses 18 through 31, we don't attempt to empty the cross's power with our eloquence. Or maybe today we can say we don't attempt to empty the cross's power with our creative talks that connect better with the millennials in our broken culture. No, we don't. We don't do that. We, we, we simply preach the gospel. And so let's look at two gospel questions that this text answers. Okay. Number one, why do we preach the gospel? Number two, why are there two different responses to this gospel? Okay. Number one. Why do we as pastors and planters preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central? in all that we say to saints and sinners. Why? Three reasons from these holy verses. Number one. Because. The word of the cross, as verse 18 puts it, is the power of God to save. That's why we don't go with eloquence and creative communication techniques. Look at verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is incredible. For real. God, listen, God has mysteriously concentrated the glorious might of his saving power into one message, the gospel, the word of the cross. Men, we speak about the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God's saving power is unleashed. When we speak about the humble incarnation of Jesus Christ, God's saving power is unleashed. When we speak about the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, God's saving power is unleashed. When we speak about the wrath-diverting death of Jesus Christ, God's saving power is unleashed. When we speak about the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's saving power is unleashed. That's why we preach the gospel God has, has, has summarized and concentrated the majestic power of his, his glory into one message. Not two, not three, one. That's why we stick with that one, right? And power is unleashed when we rightly communicate that simple gospel message. No wonder Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed. Not of the gospel. I ought to be ashamed of my creative communicating talks that think I need to change some things to connect with the broken millennials in my community. I ought to be ashamed of that, but I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God that saves. So, brothers, number one. We preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central because the word of the cross is the power that saves. But number two, number two. We preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central because the word of the cross is the wisdom of God to save. Now, we need to pray on this one. This is a tricky several verses, at least for me. I'm I'm one of them dumb uh, morons like Ben, all right? I need a lot of help. Remember Peter said some of Paul's stuff is hard to understand. And uh, this is some of it. So help us, Holy Spirit. Let's track with them. Look at verse 19 through 25. Let me just read that and then walk through it. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, God says, and the discernment of the discernment, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is that debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than the man. And the the weakness of God is stronger than men. What? 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 What you talking about, man? I need your help, Lord. So, so look, 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 God says in verse 19, look at that, that he will, quote, destroy. Can somebody say that? Destroy. Now, now, now when an almighty eternal being says, I will destroy, we need to lean in. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of man by the power of the cross. All the earth should quake when God says, I will destroy something. Listen, God is on a holy mission to literally destroy any alternative man-made way of getting to him apart from Christ crucified. All right. Did you hear that? God is on a holy mission to literally destroy any man made way to get to him apart from Christ crucified. That's why he says I get angry when you try to leap over the bloody cross to get into heaven. I destroy any ideology, any gospel, any thought that tries to get into heaven apart from the bloody cross. Wise people. And Paul picks up on this idea and even starts a little holy trash talk to those who are wise in their own eyes. He starts a little holy trash talk to claim to be smart enough to figure life out without God. You know, just kind of like on a basketball court, you know, at least where I'm from, it's like, where are y'all at? Well, I thought you could dunk. I thought you can play. You got 23 on your jersey. You got Jordans on. And you coming out here, you, you, I thought you can play. Where are y'all at? Where's your game? Where's your game? Where's your game? That's what he said. Look at verse 20. I ain't making it up. He says, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? (laughs) He's like, where y'all at, man? Where are you intellectual people at? Y'all ain't no match for the wisdom of God. He's made y'all so-called wisdom look stupid. Look at what he says in verse 20, the last question. He says, God made Foolish, the wisdom of the world. He's made y'all look stupid. So, for example, church planners, brothers and sisters, for example. After all these thousands of years of history. The world's biggest. And brightest minds. Have come to two big conclusions. Number one. You know what? Hmm. God does not exist. (laughs) But he might. (laughs) We just can't know it. Atheists and agnostics. And then, number two, the, the biggest and the brightest. Everything we see came to be in a big explosion. (laughs) Yeah, explosion. Billions of years ago. Look, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. (laughs) Now we see why Paul was trash talking. (laughs) Paul wasn't being arrogant. He was just overwhelmed by the supreme cross-centered power and wisdom of God over against the utter foolishness of the finest scholars, philosophers, and scientists this blindfolded world has to offer. Now follow this. Paul, Paul says in verse 20 that, quote, God made foolish the wisdom of the world, and he says in verse 21 that God so opposed the world that, quote, they can't know God through his wisdom. And finally, he says in verse 22 that Greeks, these the, the, the smartest culture, so-called smart, smartest, culture of philosophers and Plato and Aristotle, the deepest thinkers that, that 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 the world has ever known. He says that Greeks seek to know God through wisdom, but it's all in vain. So to summarize, the spirit of God is shouting to the world through Paul. God has made it impossible for human beings to find him or know him or be accepted by him within themselves. No matter how hard they morally work or spiritually seek, or internally meditate, or intellectually philosophize. We, human beings, left to ourselves, apart from God's divine intervention, will always deny the one true God and only worship idols. As we perish in our pride. Speaking of pride. Notice how some people. Even when they appear to desire acceptance before God. They seek it on their own arrogant terms. Look at this shocking statement in verse 22. It says that Jews. What demand (laughs) signs. That's a good translation of that word. Jews, I demanded, God. I demand a sign. If you meet my demands, God, then maybe I'll believe in you. So move that pencil. Just move that pencil. (laughs) What? Okay. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said to the proud sign seekers of his day in the Gospels. Quote. This generation is an evil generation. Sounds spiritual. It sounds somewhat faithful to say, show me a sign. He says, this is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man be to this generation. For just as Jonah was three days. There it is. And three nights, don't miss that, in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus says to them and to us and to the world, I am the last and greatest sign. My cross is your evidence. My resurrection is your miracle. I ain't showing you nothing else but a man on a tree and an empty grave. That is the greatest proof of the reality of my saving power. And this is the same thing that Paul is echoing here in 1 Corinthians 1. He's saying, listen, Jews, Gentiles, all. The word of the cross, verse 18, Christ crucified, verse 23, is the ultimate sign that God has been pleased to show you. The cross is the only sign that you need to see in order to be accepted by God. So humble yourself. Because if anyone will be saved. It will be on God's terms. Not on yours. Do you see? Do you see what's happening here? Think. Worship. Submit. God is out to exalt himself. And to humble the world. Through the cross. God. Is out to exalt himself. And to humble the world through the cross. God is out. To exalt himself. And to humble the world through the cross. Or to put it another way. Listen to this. This was God glorifies himself. And crushes human pride. By saving us. In the lowest. Weakest most embarrassing way possible. Through a half-naked, tortured man hanging on a bloody piece of wood. This is why verse 23 says that a crucified Christ is a stumbling block. Scandalon, that's that word, where we get scandalous. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. What does it mean? They can't get over it. They they, they they try to get up on the, but they can't get over it. I can't get over that this is the way that God chose to say. It, I can't get over a bloody man on the tree. That's the way God. I, I can't get over God being murdered on the cross. I, I I can't get over that 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 shatters my pride. It takes it just emba- it's so embarrassing. I can't be identified with something so publicly embarrassing, and I stumble over it. I I, I can't. How can that be? And it's a sick trick that's what that word means some kind of sick trick half naked Jewish man proclaiming to be God slaughtered on a tree gets me into the arms of my creator forever what kind of sick trick is that that's what the Jews said and then he said the Greeks called it folly that word literally means silly and dumb. What a silly and dumb idea. As smart as we are, as much technology and as much ingenuity and intellectualism that we have, as much as enlightenment as we have. What a dumb and silly idea for God to be sitting up there making a fool of himself on a bloody tree claiming that that's the way that I get to him stupid it's a silly sick trick and if that wasn't scandalous enough look at the way that this silly salvation is received by great intellect no by good works never Men are graciously saved simply by believing, as our brother Ben said, just by saying, yep, that's the way he did it. I'm in. (laughs) 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 Call me what you want to. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who what? Believe. Yep. That'll do it right there. <laughs> Requiring man to look completely away from himself and to trust in a we crucified Savior shatters pride in 10,000 pieces and gives God the glory. What a God. Yeah. Amen. We can pray. <laughs> what a God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Oh, praise the foolish wisdom of our great God. So, brothers, we preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central because it's the foolish wisdom of the cross that saves all the humble who simply believe. But then number three, number three, number three. Brothers, we preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central, not our clever, relevant talks, because the word of the cross is the power and wisdom of God that saved us. So the the word of the cross is the power of God to save. The word of the cross is the wisdom of God to save. And we preach it because it was the power and wisdom that saved us. Remember your story. Look at verse 26 through 28. to bring to nothing things that are. Consider your calling, brothers. When you tip away from the power of the gospel. Of being central. The blood being central. And you start feeling like, oh, they're embarrassed. It? I'm embarrassed. maybe I'll When you think about your salvation. Think about your calling. It was not a cool, funny talk that rescued you from hell, was it? It was the word of the cross. Brothers, consider your calling in two ways. He says, consider who you were. I mean, he says, not many of y'all were brilliant. Our brother Ben already told us, we dumb morons, right? <laughs> not many of us were brilliant. That's good theology, brother. Not many of us was, we were impressive. Not many of us were wealthy and famous. We were just nobodies. Deeply loved nobodies. Still, verse 28, I think that's the lowest thing that the Greek language can say about a person. It says, (laughs) even things that are not to bring to nothing things. I mean, like, what's more to to walk up to you and say, you're not, man. You're just not. We just ought to tell the millennials, right? And bro, you're just not. (laughs) Just not, not what? Not, not. (laughs) You you almost are not even in front of me. That's how much not you are. How low can you get? Like, you don't exist, bro. I'm sorry. That's what it says. And then chapter 3, verse 7. Remember what Paul said about him and Apollos? He says, as though we are anything. That's the same thought. We're nothing. Growing up, I used to hear this old black gospel group called the Williams Brothers. They had this song, and they just said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. About somebody who can save anybody. So that's what we we are. Remember who we were and much worse than being weak. Nobody's Ephesians two tells us that we were spiritual zombies under the rage of almighty God. So consider who you were. But then but then consider what God did despite who you were. Amen. It says consider your calling brother. Can you say calling with me calling? calling. Remember how God powerfully called you out from under his rage into his mercy. Remember how God called you out of darkness into light. Remember that day God called you out of death into life. Remember that day God called you out of Satan's family into God's family. Remember that day God called you out of the world into the church. Verse 24 says to those who are called God is the power and the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, think of your own story. Think of your own testimony. When you b- start to believe the lie that you are to move on past the gospel and share a few other things, think about your story. Look in the mirror and look at the power and the wisdom of God. Get up. Look in the mirror and behold the power of and the wisdom of God that saved you. You saw it in the video. There I was with the blood in my hand. Lost. Sinful. And then... Listen, we preach the gospel and keep the cross of Christ central because the word of the cross is the power and the wisdom of God that saved us. That saved us. So. So number one. So, so number one question. Why, why do we preach the gospel? Because the gospel is the power of God to save and why do we preach the gospel because the gospel is the wisdom of god to save him why do we preach the gospel because the gospel is the wisdom and the power of god to save us but then the second question and and this is not as 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 long um the second and final question is you look through these verses try i'm looking through these verses and i'm like wait a minute why are there two radically different responses to the same christ and to the same cross What's up with that? What's up with that? On one hand, just look at verse 18 again. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Wait a minute. That's the same Jesus. The same cross. But it says, on one hand, souls are perishing, destined for hell. But on the other hand, souls are being saved, destined for heaven. So, How do you explain the difference between those who are perishing and those who are being saved? How do you explain the difference between uh, those who say the cross is folly and those who say it's powerful? Why is Christ crucified a stumbling block to some, but but a saving rock to others? Why is Jesus a joke to some, but a jewel to others? Why do certain people believe the gospel and other people's bash the gospel? What separates the perishing from the saved if no one can get to God on their own? Well, the answer is right here in front of us. And it's just one word. Can you shout God? God. Come on, God. God. That's the reason. It's real simple. God is the reason. God himself, all by himself, makes all the difference because what is impossible with man is possible with God. Like Superman, God comes and intervenes and saves the day. In these verses, God himself sovereignly acts on rebellious hearts by saving, verse 18, by calling, verse 24, by choosing, verse 27 and 28, or to put it in the actual order that it happens in, God chose people in eternity. That would be the doctrine of election. God called them through the gospel in time. That would be the doctrine of regeneration. God is gradually saving them unto glory. That would be sanctification and glorification. Listen, this whole process of salvation reveals that God is ultimately out to get his glory through the cross in the world And over the world. I'll just close with these seven. Really, really God centered realities right from these verses. Number one, God destroys all human wisdom. Verse 19. Number two, God saves in the way that pleases him. Verse 21. Number three, God is wiser than humans. Verse 25. Number four, God is stronger than humans. Verse 25. Number five, God chose his people from eternity. says it three times in verses 27 to 28. God chose, God chose, God chose. Number six, God called the chosen in time through the gospel. Verse 24 and verse 26. And then number seven, God put his chosen call people into Christ. Jesus who became to us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And so, Why did he do it that way? Why? Just read verse 29 and verse 31. Why? So that God could get all the glory. Negatively put, look at verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Positively put, So that no one who, so that the one who boasts will boast in the Lord. He said it two different ways. This is why he did it this way. This is what a glorious idea. The gospel. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, far be it. Far be it. Like infinitely, eternally far be it. For me. Anything except the cross of Christ. And so our happy response is not to us, Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory forever and ever. we just humble ourselves in his presence right now and just lift our hearts to him the spirit of God is speaking to us and, and maybe if it helps to close your eyes maybe it helps to kneel maybe it, I don't know just We've got to ask, what, what are you saying through this to us? To us men and women, to us church planters, pastors, hoping to church plant, whatever. What does fresh grace and power surrender and obedience look like this morning? Think about this. Maybe it looks like repentance. I know it does for me. Maybe it looks like a prayer. That I prayed last night and and this morning, Father, I'm sorry for my subtle ways of being ashamed of the gospel. And not really practically believing that the word of the cross is the power of God. I want to get personal like Ben, and I'm going to be honest. This shows up in my Christless conversations. And at times, crossless sermons. So maybe the gift of repentance is what we need here. It might look like reawakening, reawakening. It might look like a prayer that's right in your seat, praying spirit of God, reawaken my soul to my Savior's sovereign, satisfying love for me. I could not think my way to heaven. I could not good work my way to heaven. I mean, God. Reawaken that I am in the category called being saved and not perishing is your sovereign love. Lord, reawaken my love for your love for me. Or lastly, it might look like realignment. Maybe you want to pray, Jesus, sweet Jesus, please realign my life. And my family, and my ministry, and my preaching with your mighty, humbling. So do this good work by your grace in our hearts and may the ripple effect of your cross. Flood our hearts and our marriages and our parenting and our pastoring and our living. Would you just sing this little worship chorus? He's worthy of it. Oh, come, let us adore him. It doesn't have to be Christmas. This is the Christ. He is here. Oh come let us adore him. Oh come let us adore him. Oh come let us adore him Christ. For the way he saved us through the cross, we give you. We give you all the glory.